Chapter Two of In the Reign of Terror by G. A. Henty. The Sleeperfox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jen Raimundo. Chapter Two: A Mad Dog. It was dark before the carriage drove up to the chateau. Their approach had been seen, for two lackeys appeared with torches at the head of the broad steps. Monsieur du Tillet put his hand encouragingly on Harry's shoulder and led him up the steps. A servant preceded them across a great hall, when a door opened and a gentleman came forward. Monsieur le Marquis, Monsieur du Tillet said, bowing, this is the young gentleman you charged me to bring to you. I am glad to see you, the Marquis said, and I hope you will make yourself happy and comfortable here. Harry did not understand the words, but he felt the tone of kindness and courtesy with which they were spoken. He could, however, only bow, for although in the eight days he had spent with Monsieur du Tillet he had picked up a great many nouns and a few phrases, his stock of words was of no use to him at present. And you, Monsieur du Tillet, the Marquis said, you have made a good journey, I hope? I thank you much for the trouble you have taken. I like the boy's looks. What do you think of him? I like him very much, Monsieur du Tillet said. He is a new type to me, and a pleasant one. I think he will make a good companion for the young count. The Marquis now turned and led the way into a great drawing-room, and taking Harry's hand, led him up to a lady seated on a couch. This is our young English friend, Julie. Of course he is strange at present, but Monsieur du Tillet reports well of him, and I already like his face. The lady held out her hand, which Harry, instead of bending over and kissing, as she had expected, shook heartily. For an instant only a look of intense surprise passed across her face. Then she said courteously, We are glad to see you. It is very good of you to come so far to us. I trust that you will be happy here. These are my sons Ernest and Jules, who will, I am sure, do all in their power to make you comfortable, the Marquis said. The last words were spoken sharply and significantly, and their tone was not lost upon the two boys. They had a moment before been struggling to prevent themselves bursting into a laugh at Harry's reception of their mother's greeting, but they now instantly composed their faces and advanced. "'Shake hands with him,' the Marquis said sharply. "'It is the custom of his country.' Each in turn held out his hand to Harry, who, as he shook hands with them, took a mental stock of his future companions. "'Good-looking,' he said to himself, "'but more like girls than boys.' A year in the fifth form would do them a world of good. I could polish the two off together with one hand. My daughters, the Marquis said, Mademoiselles Marie, Jeanne, and Virginie. Three young ladies had risen from their seats as their father entered. Each made a deep curtsy as her name was mentioned, and Harry bowed deeply in return. Mademoiselle Marie was two years at least older than himself, and was already a young lady of fashion. Jeanne struck him as being about the same age as his sister Fanny, who was between fourteen and fifteen. Virginie was a child of ten. Ernest was about his own age, while Jules came between the two younger girls. "'Take Monsieur Sanwith to the Ave, the Marquis said to Ernest, and do all in your power to set him at his ease. Remember what you would feel if you were placed as he is among strange people in a strange country.' The lad motioned to Harry to accompany him, and the three boys left the room together. "'You can go to your gouvernante,' the Marquis said to the two younger girls, and with a profound curtsy to her mother, and another to the Marquis, they left the room." unrestrained now by their presence the marquise turned to her husband with a merry laugh but it is a bear you have brought home edouard a veritable bear my fingers ache still and he is to teach manners to my sons i always protested against the plan but i did not think it would be as bad as this these islanders are savages the marquis smiled he is a little gosh but that will soon rub off i like him julie remember it was a difficult position for a boy we did not have him here to give polish to our sons it may be that they have even a little too much of this at present. The English are not polished, everyone knows that, but they are manly and independent. That boy bore himself well. 
he probably had never been in a room like this in his life he was ignorant of our language alone among strangers but he was calm and self-possessed i like the honest straightforward look in his face and look at the width of the shoulders and the strength of his arms why he would break ernest across his knee and the two boys must be about the same age oh he has brute strength i grant the marquise said so have the sons of our peasants however i do not want to find fault with him it is your hobby or rather that of august who is i think mad about these english i will say nothing to prevent its having a fair trial only i hope it will not be necessary for me to give him my hand again i do not suppose it will until he leaves julie and by that time no doubt he will know what to do with it but here is monsieur du tillet waiting all this time for you to speak to him pardon me my good monsieur du tillet the marquise said in truth that squeeze of my hand has driven all other matters from my mind how have you fared this long journey with this english bear must have been very tedious for you indeed madame la marquise monsieur du tillet replied it has been no hardship the boy has amused me greatly nay more he has pleased me we have been able to say little to each other though indeed he is quick and eager to learn and will soon speak our language but his face has been a study when he is pleased you can see that he is pleased and that is a pleasure for few people are pleased in our days again when he does not like a thing you can also see it i can see that he says to himself i can expect nothing better these poor people are only french when the gamins in paris jeered him as to his dress he closed his hands and would have flown at them with his fists after the manner of his countrymen had he not put strong restraint on himself from the look of his honest eyes i shall when he can speak our language believe implicitly what he says that boy would not tell a lie whatever were the consequences altogether i like him much i think that in a very little while he will adapt himself to what goes on around him and that you will have no reason ere long to complain of his gaucheries and you really think monsieur du tillet that he will be a useful companion for my boys if you will pardon me for saying so madame i think that he will at any rate i am sure he can be trusted to teach them no wrong you are all against me the marquise laughed and you marie i do not think of him one way or the other the girl said coldly he is very awkward but as he is not to be my companion that does not concern me it is like one of papa's dogs one more or less makes no difference in the house so long as they do not tread upon one's skirt that is the true spirit of the french nobility marie her father said sarcastically outside our own circle the whole human race is nothing to us they are animals who supply our wants voilà tout i tell you my dear that the time is coming when this will not suffice the nation is stirring that france which we have so long ignored is lifting its head and muttering the news from paris is more and more grave the assembly has assumed the supreme authority and the king is a puppet in its power the air is dark as with a thunder-cloud and there may be such a storm sweep over france as there has not been since the days of the jacquerie but the people should be contented monsieur du tillet said they have had all the privileges they ever possessed given back to them yes the marquis assented and there lies the danger it is one thing or the other if as soon as the temper of the third estate had been seen the king's guards had entered and cleared the place and closed the door as cromwell did when the parliament was troublesome to him in england that would have been one way paris would have been troublesome we might have had again the days of the fronde but in the end the king's party would have won however that was not the way tried they began by concessions they go on with concessions and each concession is made the ground for more it is like sliding down a hill when you have once begun you cannot stop yourself and you go on until there is a crash then it may be you pick yourself up sorely wounded and bruised and begin to reclimb the hill slowly and painfully it may be that you are dashed to pieces i am not a politician i do not care much for the life of perry and am well content to live quietly here on our estates but even i can see that a storm is gathering and as for my brother august 
he goes about shaking his head and wringing his hands his anticipations are of the darkest what can one expect when fellows like voltaire and rousseau were permitted by their poisonous preaching to corrupt and inflame the imagination of the people both those men's heads should have been cut off the instant they began to write the scribblers are at the root of all the trouble with their pestilent doctrines but it is too late now the mischief is done if we had a king strong and determined all might yet be well but louis is weak in decision he listens one moment to mirabeau and the next to the queen who is more firm and courageous and so things drift on from bad to worse and the assembly backed by the turbulent scum of paris are masters of the situation for some time harry lived a quiet life at the chateau he found his position a very pleasant one the orders of the marquis that he should be treated as one of the family were obeyed and there was no distinction made between himself and ernest in the morning the two boys and himself worked with the ab a quiet and gentle old man in the afternoon they rode and fenced under the instructions of monsieur de Juillet, or one of the other gentlemen of the marquis establishment and on holidays shot or fished as they chose on the preserves or streams of the estate for an hour each morning the two younger girls shared in their studies learning latin and history with their brothers harry got on very well with ernest but there was no real cordiality between them the hauteur and insolence with which the young count treated his inferiors were a constant source of exasperation to harry he thinks himself a little god he would often mutter to himself i would give a good deal to have him for three months at westminster wouldn't he get his conceit and nonsense knocked out of him at the same time he was always scrupulously polite and courteous to his english companion much too polite indeed to please harry he had good qualities too he was generous with his money and if during their rides a woman came up with a tale of distress he was always ready to assist her he was clever and harry to his surprise found that his knowledge of latin was far beyond his own and that ernest could construct passages with the greatest ease which altogether puzzled him he was a splendid rider and could keep his seat with ease and grace on the most fiery animals in his father's stables when they went out with their guns harry felt his inferiority keenly not only was ernest an excellent shot but at the end of a long day's sport he would come in apparently fresh and untired while harry although bodily far the most powerful would be completely done up and at gymnastic exercises he could do with ease feats which harry could at first not even attempt in this respect however the english lad in three months time was able to rival him his disgust at finding himself so easily beaten by a french boy nerved him to the greatest exertions and his muscles practised in all sorts of games soon adapted themselves to the new exercises harry picked up french very rapidly the absolute necessity there was to express himself in that language caused him to make a progress which surprised himself and at the end of three months he was able to converse with little difficulty and having learned it entirely by ear he spoke with a fair accent and pronunciation monsieur du tillet who was the principal instructor of the boys in their outdoor exercises took much pains to assist him in his french and helped him on in every way in his power in the evening there were dancing lessons and although very far from exhibiting the stately grace with which ernest could perform the minuet or other courtly dances then in fashion harry came in time to perform his part fairly two hours were spent in the evening in the salon this part of the day harry at first found the most tedious but as soon as he began to speak fluently the marquis addressed most of his conversation to him asking him questions about the life of english boys at school and about english manners and customs and harry soon found himself chatting at his ease the distinction of classes is clearly very much less with you in england than it is here the marquis said one day when harry had been describing a great fight which had taken place between a party of westminster boys and those of the neighbourhood it seems extraordinary to me that sons of gentlemen should engage in a personal fight with boys of the lowest class such a thing could not happen here if you were insulted by such a boy what would you do ernest i should run him through the body ernest said quietly 
just so his father replied and i don't say you would be wrong according to our notions but i do not say that the english plan is not the best the english gentleman for monsieur sandwich says that even among grown-up people the same habits prevail does not disdain to show the canal that even with their own rough weapons he is their superior and he thus holds their respect it is a coarse way and altogether at variance with our notions but there is much to be said for it but it altogether does away with the reverence that the lower class should feel for the upper ernest objected that is true ernest so long as that feeling generally exists so long as there is as it were a wide chasm between the two classes as there has always existed in france it would be unwise perhaps for one of the upper to admit that in any respect there could be any equality between them but this is not so in england where a certain quality has always been allowed to exist the englishman of all ranks has a certain feeling of self-respect and independence and the result is shown in the history of the wars which have been fought between the two nations France in early days always relied upon her chivalry. The horde of footmen she placed in the field counted for little. England, upon the other hand, relied principally upon her archers and her pikemen, and it must be admitted that they beat us handsomely. Then again in the wars in Flanders, under the English general Marlborough, their infantry always proved themselves superior to ours. It is galling to admit it, but there is no blinking the facts of history. It seems to me that the feeling of independence and self-respect which this English system gives rise to, even among the lowest class, must render them man for man better soldiers than those drawn from a peasantry whose very lives are at the mercy of their lords i think du tillet the marquis said later on on the same evening when the young people had retired i have done very well in taking my brother auguste's advice as to having an english companion for ernest if things were as they were under the grand monarch i do not say that it would have been wise to allow a young french nobleman to get these english ideas into his head but it is different now we are on the eve of great changes what will come of it no one can say but there will certainly be changes and it is a good thing that my children should get broader ideas than those in which we were brought up this lad is quiet and modest but he ventures to think for himself it scarce entered the head of a french nobleman a generation back that the mass of the people had any feelings or wishes much less rights they were useful in their way just as the animals are but needed no more consideration they have never counted for anything in england the people have rights and liberties they won them years ago. It would be well for us in the present day had they done so in France. I fancy the next generation will have to adapt themselves to changed circumstances, and the ideas that Ernest and Jules will learn from this English lad will be a great advantage to them, and will fit them for the new state of things. It was only during lessons, when their gouvernante was always present, at meal-times and in the salon in the evening, that Harry had any communication with the young ladies of the family. If they met in the grounds, they were saluted by the boys with as much formal courtesy as if they had been the most distant acquaintances, returning the bows with deep curtsies. These meetings were a source of great amusement to Harry, who could scarcely preserve his gravity at these formal and distant greetings. On one occasion, however, the even course of these meetings was broken. The boys had just left the tennis court where they had been playing, and had laid aside the swords which they carried when walking or riding the tennis court was at some little distance from the house and they were walking across the garden when they heard a scream at a short distance was the governess with her two young charges she had thrown her arms around them and stood the picture of terror uttering loud screams looking round in astonishment to discover the cause of her terror harry saw a large wolfhound running towards them at a trot its tongue was hanging out and there was a white foam on its jaws he had heard monsieur du tillet tell the marquis on the previous day that this dog which was a great favourite seemed strange and unquiet and he had ordered it to be chained up it had evidently broken its fastening for it was dragging a piece of chain some six feet long behind it 
it flashed across him at once that the animal was mad but without an instant's hesitation he dashed off at full speed and threw himself in front of the ladies before the dog reached them snatching off his coat and then kneeling on one knee he awaited the animal's attack without deviating from its course the hound sprang at him with a short snarling howl harry threw his coat over its head and then grasped it round the neck the impetus of the spring knocked him over and they rolled together on the ground the animal struggled furiously but harry retained his grasp round its neck in vain the hound tried to free itself from its blinding encumbrance or to bite his assailant through it and struggled to shake off his hold with its leg and claws harry maintained his grasp tightly round its neck with his head pressed closely against one of its ears several times they rolled over and over at last harry made a great effort when he was uppermost and managed to get his knees upon the animal's belly and then digging his toes in the ground pressed with all his weight upon it there was a sound as of cracking of bones then the dog's struggles suddenly ceased and his head fell over and harry rose to his feet by the side of the dead hound just as a number of men with pitchforks and other weapons ran up to the spot from the stables while the marquis sword in hand arrived from the house the gouvernante too paralyzed by fear had stood close by with her charges while the struggle was going on ernest had come up and was standing in front of his sisters ready to be the next victim if the dog had overpowered harry less accustomed to running than the english boy and for a moment rooted to the ground with horror at his sister's danger he had not arrived at the spot until the struggle between harry and the dog was half over and had then seen no way of rendering assistance but believing that the dog was sure to be the conqueror he had placed himself before his sisters to bear the brunt of the next assault seeing at a glance that his daughters were untouched the marquis ran on to harry who was standing panting and breathless and threw his arms round him my brave boy he exclaimed you have saved my daughters from a dreadful death by your courage and devotion how can i and their mother ever thank you i saw it all from the terrace the speed with which you sprang to their assistance the quickness of thought with which you stripped off your coat and threw it over its head after that i could see nothing except your rolling over and over in a confused mass you are not hurt i trust not a bit sir harry said and you have killed it wonderful there was nothing in that sir i have heard my father who is a doctor say that a man could kill the biggest dog if he could get it down on its back and kneel on it so when i once managed to get my knees on it i felt it was all right ah it is all very well for you to speak as if it were nothing the marquis said there are few men indeed who would throw themselves in the way of a mad dog especially of such a formidable brute as that you too have behaved with courage my son and i saw you were ready to give your life for your sisters but you had not the quickness and readiness of your friend and would have been too late it is true father ernest said in a tone of humility i should have been too late and moreover i should have been useless for he would have torn me down in a moment and then fallen upon my sisters monsieur sanwith he said frankly i own i have been wrong i have thought the games of which you spoke and your fighting rough and barbarous but i see their use now you have put me to shame when i saw that dog i felt powerless for i had not my sword with me but you you rushed to the fight without a moment's hesitation trusting in your strength and your head yes your customs have made a man of you while i am a boy still you are very good to say so harry said but i am quite sure that you would be just as quick and ready as me in most circumstances and if it had been a matter of swords very much more useful but i am glad you see there is some advantage in our rough english ways the marquis had put his hand approvingly upon ernest's shoulder when he addressed harry and then turned to his daughters the governess had sunk fainting to the ground when she saw that the danger was over virginie had thrown herself down and was crying loudly while jeanne stood pale but quiet beside them the marquis directed one of the men to run up to the chateau and bid a female servant bring down water and smelling salts for the governess and then lifted virginie up and tried to soothe her while he stretched out his other hand to jeanne you are shaken my jeanne he said tenderly 
but you have borne the trial well. I did not hear you cry out, though Madame and the little one screamed loudly enough. I was frightened enough, father, she said simply, but of course I wasn't going to cry out. But it was very terrible, and oh, how noble and brave he was. And you know, Papa, I feel ashamed to think how often I have been nearly laughing because he was awkward in the minuet. I feel so little now beside him. You see, my dear, one must not judge too much by externals, her father said soothingly as she hid her face against his coat, and he could feel that she was trembling from head to foot. Older people than you often do so, and are sorry for it afterwards. But as I am sure that you would never allow him to see that you were amused, no harm has been done. Shall I thank him, Papa? Yes, presently, my dear. He has just gone off with Ernest to see them bury the dog. This incident caused a considerable change in Harry's position in the family. Previously, he had been accepted in consequence of the orders of the Marquis. Although compelled to treat him as an equal, the two boys had in their hearts looked upon him as an inferior, while the girls had regarded him as a sort of tutor of their brothers, and thus as a creature altogether indifferent to them. But henceforth he appeared in a different light. Ernest acted up to the spirit of the words he had spoken at the time, and henceforth treated him as a comrade to be respected as well as liked. He tried to learn some of the English games, but as most of these required more than two players, he was forced to abandon them. He even asked him to teach him to box, but Harry had the good sense to make excuses for not doing so. He felt that Ernest was by no means his match in strength, and that, with all his good will, he would find it difficult to put up good-naturedly with being knocked about. He therefore said that it could not be done without boxing gloves, and these it would be impossible to obtain in France, and that in the next place he should hardly advise him to learn even if he procured the gloves, for that in such contests severe bruises often were given. "'We think nothing of a black eye,' he said, laughing. "'But I am sure Madame your mother would not be pleased to see you so marked. Besides, your people would not understand your motive in undertaking so rough an exercise, and you might lose somewhat of their respect. Be content, Count Ernest. You are an excellent swordsman, and although I am improving under Monsieur du Tillet's tuition, I shall never be your match. If you like, sometime when we are out and away from observation, we can take off our coat, and I can give you a lesson in wrestling. It is a splendid exercise, and it has not the disadvantages of boxing. Little Jules looked up to Harry as a hero, and henceforth, when they were together, gave him the same sort of implicit obedience he paid to his elder brother. The ceremonious habits of the age prevented anything like familiarity on the part of the younger girls, but Jeanne and Virginie now always greeted him with a smile when they met, and joined in conversation with him as with their brothers in the evening. The Marquise, who had formally protested, if playfully, against her husband's women introducing an English boy into their family circle, now regarded him with real affection, only refraining from constant allusions to the debt she considered she owed him, because she saw that he really shrank from the subject. The Marquis, shortly after this incident, went to Paris for a fortnight, to ascertain from his friends there the exact position of things. He returned depressed and angry. The violence of the assembly had increased from day to day. The property of all the convents had been confiscated, and this measure had been followed by the seizure of the vast estates of the church. All the privileges of the nobility had been declared at an end, and in August a decree had been passed abolishing all titles of nobility. This decree had taken effect in Paris and in the great towns, and also in some parts of the country where the passions of the people were most aroused against the nobility. But in Burgundy it had remained a dead letter. The Marquis de Saint-Cour was popular upon his estates, and no one had ever neglected to concede to him and to the Marquise their titles. He himself had regarded the decree with disdain. "'They may take away my estates by force,' he said, "'but no law can deprive me of my title, any more than of the name which I inherited from my fathers. Such laws as these are mere outbursts of folly.' 
but the assembly continued to pass laws of the most sweeping description assuming the sovereign power and using it as no monarch of france had ever ventured to do moderate men were shocked at the headlong course of events and numbers of those who at the commencement of the movement had thrown themselves heart and soul into it now shrank back in dismay at the strange tyranny which was called liberty it seems to me that a general madness has seized all paris the marquis said to his wife on his return but at present nothing can be done to arrest it i have seen the king and queen his majesty is resolved to do nothing that is to let events take their course and what that will be heaven only knows the assembly has taken all power into its hands the king is already a mere cipher the violence of the leaders of these men is beyond all bounds the queen is by turns hot and cold at one moment she agrees with her husband that the only hope lies in conceding everything at another she would go to the army place herself in its hands and call on it to march upon paris at any rate there is nothing to be done at present but to wait already numbers of the deputies terrified at the aspect of affairs have left france and i am sorry to say many of the nobles have also gone this is cowardice and treachery to the king we cannot help him if he will not be helped but it is our duty to remain here ready to rally round him when he calls us to his side i am glad that the assembly has passed a law confiscating the estates of all who have emigrated although the marquise was much alarmed at the news brought by her husband she did not think of questioning his decision it did not seem to her possible that there could be danger for her and hers in their quiet country chateau there might be disturbance and bloodshed and even revolution in paris but surely a mere echo of this would reach them so far away whenever you think it is right to go up and take your place by the king i will go and take mine by the queen she said quietly the children will be safe here but of course we must do our duty the winter passed quietly at the chateau there was none of the usual gaiety for a deep gloom hung over all the noble families of the province still at times great hunting parties were got up for the chase of the wolves among the forest for when the snow was on the ground these often came down into the villages and committed great depredations End of chapter two recording by jen raimundo